All right, well, the passage that uh, we're going to look at today for the sermon is um, found in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12 and verses 1 to 12. This is a passage where Jesus talks about um, making a public profession of faith. Uh, We've just uh, witnessed that uh, with Lucy, and so I thought it would be a good passage to focus on today. Now, just by way of context, uh, Jesus has just exposed um, some uh, religious leaders, uh, exposed their hypocrisy, and he's just made some really powerful enemies. And so he, uh, he needs to teach on that subject because his disciples are probably feeling a little bit worried uh, about how things are going to go. Um, and at the same time, in this part of Luke's gospel, there's a massive crowd following after Jesus. They've heard his teaching. They've seen the miracles. Uh, so Jesus is really popular with the crowds, and uh, that also has its um, issues. Uh, So Jesus, he teaches um, his disciples on what it actually means to follow him um, in the context of hostility and also uh, adoration. Uh, So let's hear what Jesus says. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling uh, one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is God's Word. Let's pray and ask uh, God to help us understand and to apply it. Oh, Father, we need uh, your Spirit uh, to open our eyes to the wonderful things in your Word, and we pray that he would lead us uh, to faith in Christ as his job is. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would respond uh, with a humble heart and with an eagerness to adopt uh, what you say and to put it into practice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know, one of the things that is true of uh, all of us in this room is that we worry about what people 
uh, think. We worry about the opinions of others. Uh, in fact, I should put it stronger than that. We fear what other people think of us. Now, so we are very ready to do whatever we can to win uh, the approval, the affirmation, and the acknowledgement uh, of others. Uh, I'll give you some examples, just so you believe me. Um, what did you get up to this week? It's a common question. But how do you answer that question? Uh, what about this? Let's see. I watched 17 and a half hours of television this week, lost my temper three times. I ate that last piece of cake, which was actually meant to be reserved for someone else. We don't answer the question like that. Instead, we say what we think will impress. You know, how do we respond? What have you been up to this week? Oh, I've been very busy. Look how productive I've been. Look at how exciting my life is. I have a, a photo on social media to prove it. Well, here's another example. Why do adults fear putting on a little extra weight? It's rarely to do with health. It's all about what will other people think. Uh, why does the fear of public speaking usually sit at the top of every common uh, list of fears? Because if one opinion is scary, imagine a whole crowd of opinions. That's terrifying. Now, in one sense, there is something healthy about this, the fear of people, because sometimes that can prevent us from doing something really foolish. Uh, and, you know, we worry, oh, what will people think of me? <clears throat> uh, sometimes, well, it's, you know, it's natural to want to be affirmed by other people. We want to avoid hostility. That's a healthy thing. But the fear of people can also be a great danger to us. And especially when it comes to following Jesus. The fear of what others will think could be the main reason so many people don't even bother looking into the claims of Jesus because, well, I don't want people to think I'm weird. The fear of people, what people think, if we have that, we're actually far more likely to compromise in our allegiance to Jesus. And so the fear of people, it can be a big danger to us. And Jesus, he knows the struggle it is. Right, Jesus, fully God and fully man, he knew what it was to be tempted to fear the opinions of others. He didn't cave into that temptation, but he knows what it's like. He knows the experience, the, te the, the temptation to fear what will other people think. And he knows that's a major barrier to following him. He knows it's a major barrier to telling other people about him. And so he teaches on this issue. He teaches us how to deal with it, the fear of other people. And his teaching, he doesn't just say, come on, guys, man up. He doesn't say to his disciples, stop being such wimps. He doesn't say, be fearless. Jesus points out that the real issue is not that we fear, but our real issue is that we fear the wrong thing, or we fear the wrong one. Uh, the only way to drive out the fear of others is by a greater fear, the fear of God himself. And Jesus, he gets that across in three ways in this passage. Uh, he gets us to think very deeply about whose opinion really matters. He gets us to think deeply about whose power 
we should really fear. And he gets us to think about whose acknowledgement ultimately matters. So that's our three uh, points. Let's have a look at those. So first, whose opinion should you really fear? That's in verses uh, one to three. And it comes out of a warning against hypocrisy. So Jesus, he says to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus has just exposed the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders in that day. Uh, they were very respected people in that society. Many people looked up to them and thought, wow, look at those Pharisees. They are incredible. They are wonderful people. Jesus didn't respect them at all because he could see right through the, the mask that they were wearing. Uh, all of their religion was really just a mask to hide what they were really like, that inside they were full of greed and wickedness. And Jesus exposed them in public, absolutely humiliated them. From that moment on, they were out to get him. But that, what he was saying was that their religion was just a mask to hide what they're really like. Now Jesus, he's more concerned about his disciples, his followers. And he's saying, make sure you watch out for the trap that hypocrisy is. And it really is a trap because just a little bit of hypocrisy, it can go a very long way. Uh, he calls it the leaven of the Pharisees. And leaven, that's a fermenting agent, you know, yeast. Uh, what happens when you put a little bit of yeast into a batch of dough? It affects the whole part. It works right through it, through the whole batch, and every little bit of that dough is, in one sense, corrupted. <laughs> you know, it's changed. It's impacted. And that's what Jesus says hypocrisy does to our lives. It might seem very small. It might seem like it's unseen but it actually works through and corrupts every aspect of your being. Uh, it happens when instead of repenting of sin, instead of repenting of corruption, like turning away from it, instead you try to deal with it by hiding it and then putting on a good mask. So no one will suspect a thing. That's hypocrisy. And that might seem very little, but it's like yeast in dough. It's spread through. It corrupts your whole life. And so before you know it, what you are before people is something very different to what you are in private. Now, you've probably heard about um, Sir Arthur Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he, used, he used to tell the story about sending a telegram to 12 friends, uh, 12 friends who were uh, reputable people. They were um, men of great virtue, had high positions in society. Each received a message, and the message was one line. It simply said, flee at once. All is discovered. And within 24 hours, something like 11 of those 12 men had left the country. Why? All is discovered. Imagine if you receive that message, all is discovered. Where would your mind go? Would there be something that actually troubles you? Are you attempting to mask something in your life? Uh, very dangerous. Now, but Jesus, what he's getting at is what's behind that? Why is it that we can settle for hypocrisy rather than actually doing real heart change? And 
what is the heart motive that produces hypocrisy? And Jesus, he shows us in in these verses that it's actually a symptom of the fear of man, the fear of what other people will think about us. Hypocrisy, it happens when we overvalue the opinions of others. Uh, The hypocrite is more worried about how people will see you rather than the true condition of your heart. And so hypocrisy always overvalues the opinions of others. And yet Jesus shows us in verses 2 and 3 that there is only one opinion that you should be worried about. Only one opinion that you should be fearful of. And it's the God who knows and sees everything. This, to this God, there is no such thing as a private life. All is public. There's no distinction between public and private with God. To God, it's all public. And verses 2 and 3 say, it is all going to be made public. See, look, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And what Jesus says there is happening all the time. Do you know, it must be, it's probably every day, but it seems every second day, there is a story in the news of some high-profile person, whether in the public office or in professional sport or in a church or in a school, who is exposed. The double life is exposed. And, you know, they're caught doing something very shameful. And so what was covered up is now revealed. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Happens all the time. And that means we're only kidding ourselves if we think we can cover something up in our life. We're kidding ourselves. Uh, Do you know, even if you do succeed to cover something up in your life, if you succeed to do that, that is the worst thing that can happen to you. Do you know why? Because it means you've missed the opportunity to repent. By, By the end of your life, it's too late. Because what Jesus is actually talking about in verses 2 and 3 is not the here and now, but the final day, a day of judgment, a day when everything will be exposed, everything will be uncovered and brought into judgment. Uh, In another place, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 12, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account of every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. See, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's trying to put the fear of God into us. Why? Because we can only overcome the fear of what people think of us by a greater fear, by the fear of God. And do you realize that when you embrace the fear of the Lord, when you actually take hold of this and say, this is what I want to live my life by. Do you realize the freedom that that brings into your life? The fear of the Lord is freedom because it means the freedom from pretending, the freedom from being a people pleaser. It brings freedom from being fake. And Jesus is telling us this because he doesn't want us to be hypocrites. He wants real followers, people who are not driven by the fear of what will other people think, but by driven 
by the fear of the Lord. And so this is what we need to think very deeply about. If we want to overcome the fear of people, we need to think very deeply about whose opinion we should fear the most, and that's God. Uh, Second, Jesus gets us to think very deeply about whose power you should fear the most. Verses 4 to 7. And so he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So here we have another contrast between the fear of man and the fear of God. And this time Jesus is not talking about people's opinions. He's talking about people's power, fearing the people's power. Uh, In particular, their power to hurt you. And remember, Jesus has just made some enemies. He's just exposed the religious leaders, and from that point on, they're out to kill him. They, they work hard and they, they uh, orchestrate his execution. And Jesus is speaking to disciples who would also face the same uh, ending. Uh, all of them except John were, were tortured and killed. And so Jesus, he's not been over the top by saying, don't fear those who could kill you, because that could happen. And it did. And even today, people are persecuted and killed simply because they believe Jesus claims about himself. Now, thankfully, we don't have the same threat in Australia, threat of being killed for being a follower of Jesus. I don't know, that could change one day. Uh, But that doesn't mean following Jesus is always easy. Uh, We're still likely to, to be hurt by other people. We're likely to face ridicule, rejection, Uh, In some cases, we could even lose a career for being a follower of Jesus. And none of that is easy. It's all very hard. We would much rather avoid conflict. But do you see, sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes we cannot be a follower of Jesus and just blend in at work or blend in at school or blend in in society. Sometimes opposition will come our way, and when it does, you know what we think. <laughs> we think, oh, this is okay. I can just practice my faith, uh, faith in private and um, pretend to be something else in public. But then we remember, hang on, that's the thing that Jesus just warned us against. Hypocrisy. So we can't do that. See, sometimes faithfulness to Jesus means that we will have to take a stand. We will have to go, no, 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 I'm different. I can't go along with that. And where do you get the courage to do that? Where do you get the courage to say, I'm a follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus says it's not by becoming fearless. It's by fearing the right one fearing God more than we fear people. And that's the point in verse 5. See, Jesus says, I'll warn you whom you should fear, fear him, who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, Jesus is saying the worst thing that a human being can do to you is kill you. 
And that's really bad, but it is nothing compared to what can happen after death because there is something after death. There is something on the other side, something very scary, something that God has authority over, and that is hell. Death lasts an instant, but hell lasts forever. Eternity is real. See, Jesus, he's he's putting the fear of God into us. He's putting our fears into perspective, that there is an eternity. There is, you know, this life is so short. Eternity is forever. Hell is real. Jesus believed in hell. And there's nothing more terrifying than that. And so if today, if you're on the run from God, if you're ignoring God in your life, then you should actually be absolutely terrified. We're all going to die eventually. And you might assume that when you die that you just cease to exist, that your body just becomes grass. But that's a very big assumption. And there's a lot riding on that assumption, do you see? At, at the very least, you should at least check out Jesus' claims. What if he's right? What if there is an eternity? What if there is a hell? See, don't just assume. Look into it. And here's Jesus. He's, he's pulling back the curtain on eternal realities and he's saying that the, the reality is that there is a God whom we must all give an account and this God is so holy and just and he punishes sin and that punishment lasts forever. And in the end, he is the only one you should fear. People might hurt you, so what? What about this God? Yikes. But then we ask the question, what does it actually mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? Is Jesus saying to his followers, I want you to spend the rest of your lives absolutely terrified that God's going to throw you into hell? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, have a look at the next um, verses, verses 6 to 7 where he tells us what it means to fear God. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So here Jesus, he shows us, when you fear God, that God cares for you more than you could ever imagine. God cares deeply for you. And this God, he is so attentive to the details of life that not even a fallen sparrow is forgotten. And God is so attentive to the details of your life that he knows the number of hairs on your head, which um, looking out there, for some of you, that's not all that impressive. Um, But that's beside the point. What, what is Jesus saying? He's saying God knows us better than we know ourselves. You know, if we think we have worries and problems, God knows them better than we do because he knows even the hairs on our head. We don't even know how many are there. <clears throat> and God cares for us deeply. And Jesus is saying that if you're in God's care, you've actually got nothing to be afraid of. You've got absolutely nothing to be afraid of. You are actually safe for all of eternity. 
You know, people might harm you in this life. People might even kill you. But if you're in God's care, you're safe forever. Because on the other side of death, what's going to happen? Eternity with him, in his care. And do you know that's the only safety that will matter 10,000 years from now? And so now we know what it is to fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means not to be frightened of him, but to be in awe of him. It means to see God as bigger than anything else, more real than anything else, and to trust your life to him. That's the fear of the Lord. And it's this fear, this fear of the Lord, trusting in him, that's what drives out all other fears. The fear of people, it's gone when you fear the Lord. Now, if we take what um, Jesus is saying seriously in these verses, I don't know if you feel it, but do you feel there's a little bit of a tension here? Because on the one hand, Jesus is saying, fear God, he can throw you into hell, and then fear God because he cares deeply for you. How does that work? So holy, he punishes. So loving, he cares. How do we reconcile those two aspects of God's nature? Well, we don't have to, because God has already done it. He did it at the cross. See, at the cross, we can see God hates our sins so much that he had to punish it. But we also see in the cross that he loves us so much that he chose to send his only son in our place and punish him on our behalf. We see the holiness and the love of God so clearly in the cross. And when you know that Jesus got the hell that you deserved so that you can get the care he deserved, when you know that you have received that, that's what creates this fear of God that's far more about awe and wonder than it is about cold terror. That's why uh, the most famous hymn that we are going to sing today, uh, it goes, um, you know, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear.'" And grace, my fears relieved. Do you feel that relief in the cross, knowing that hell has been taken? It was grace that my fears are relieved. So here Jesus, he's getting us to think very deeply. Whose opinion do we have to fear the most? Whose power should we fear the most? That's what will drive out the fear of people. But then thirdly, he tells us about uh, whose acknowledgement ultimately matters? Whose acknowledgement ultimately matters? And that's in verses 8 to 12. It says, And I tell you, uh, everyone who acknowledges me before men, uh, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, these are some very practical words because Jesus is just asking you will you acknowledge him before others or will you deny him? Will you acknowledge him or will you deny him? Uh, to acknowledge Jesus, that just means to be open and honest, it means to say to people, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's to tell people about him. It means to profess openly your faith. That's kind of what Lucy did today, standing up here, 
I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm living my life for him. That's what Jesus means when he says that you acknowledge him, acknowledge him before others. But what if you find yourself in a situation where to do that is dangerous? What happens if you do that and it brings ridicule and people think you're weird and and people reject you? What if even your family members don't want to know you anymore? What if acknowledging Jesus is costly and brings trouble or pain into your life? What then? Will you be able to do it? Now, maybe for some of you, this question actually fills you with shame because you can remember one or more times where you did have the opportunity to acknowledge Jesus before others, but you chickened out. You didn't acknowledge him. Instead, you may have even spoken against him. And you can remember those times, and it fills you with shame. And you feel like, well, what hope is there for me now? Because didn't Jesus say if you deny him, he will deny you? What hope is there for you? The hope is that Jesus is gracious and he offers forgiveness to you. That's what he says in this passage. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven. There is forgiveness for you. Jesus died so that you can be forgiven. That's the assurance you need. And do you know, Peter, there's a guy named Peter who denied Jesus three times in the most pressing time. Now, the one time where Peter could have stood up and said, yeah, I acknowledge Jesus, he chickened out three times and said, I don't know the guy. He even called down curses on himself saying, I would never clue that guy's because he got scared. Right, but he turned back to Jesus and Jesus forgave him. See, there is forgiveness for you if you've failed, which means turn back to him. Turn back to him and find that forgiveness. But if you don't turn to Jesus, if you don't turn to Jesus, there is no forgiveness for you. That's what Jesus means when he talks about the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. See, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to reject the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work is to lead you to Christ. And if you reject that, there is no forgiveness because only in Christ is forgiveness found. So you've got to turn to Jesus. But I'm nearly there. If, if you turn to Jesus, if you put your trust in him, then Jesus has this wonderful promise for you. It's the promise of acknowledgement before the angels of God. And he's talking about Judgment Day. And he's talking about the day when, on the final judgment, when everyone is sent to their eternal destinies, when it's your turn to stand before the judge, at that point Jesus will stand up and he will say before the great multitude, this one is with me. This one is with me. He will acknowledge you. And on that day, that's the only thing that will matter. It's the only thing that will count. It's the only acknowledgement that ultimately matters. See, in this life, people will sit in judgment on you and condemn you for belonging to Jesus. But on the final judgment, if you belong to Jesus, he won't condemn you. He will welcome you. He will say, you are mine. The acknowledgement. 
And when you know that Jesus stands for you like that, that gives you the courage to stand for him in this life. And so what if people think we're weird? Big deal. That's not going to matter on the last day, is it? In fact, the Holy Spirit who leads us to Christ, he's actually the one who empowers us to stand for Jesus. Uh, verses 11 to 12 say that, you know, when you're going to be brought before some scary situations and you don't know, what am I going to say? Don't worry. God will help you. It'll be okay. Trust him. And so Jesus, he's helping us to be unafraid and unashamed as his followers. He wants us to be free from the fear of what other people think, free from the fear of what other people might do. And you can only have that freedom when you have a greater fear, the fear of the Lord. And when you know that that this God whom we fear is the God who, who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, then we know that fearing him really is freedom. It's like that old hymn that says, Fear him, you saints, and you will have nothing else to fear. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you are who you are, uh, that you're not a a small God, that you're not distant and uninvolved, uh, someone that we can avoid through our cleverness or through arguments and debates. But we thank you, Father, that you are the, the true and living God, the God who, who created us, the God to whom we must all give an account. We thank you that you are so big, so much bigger than we could ever imagine. And we thank you, Lord, that you hold us in your hands, that everything we have in life is because it's a gift from you. You sustain our lives. And Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, we we admit that it does terrify us to think of uh, the the ridicule that we could face as followers of Jesus. And we even admit, Lord, that there's been times when we have failed to stand for Jesus. We ask that you would forgive us, and we know that you do. But Lord, help us to stand for Jesus, knowing that he stands for us. We pray that you'd fill us with the courage to do that, to even witness to our friends and our family, not not worrying about what they might think, because there's something more important. Lord, help us to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.